Oh, the reality of the presence of God is, is uh, oh my goodness, it can be so overwhelming, but yet so incredibly refreshing, renewing us at the deepest levels of who we are. Oh, I'm grateful. I'm grateful to be a part of a church that doesn't just let me stand up on the stage and sing a song, but joins together in hearts of worship. I am grateful for you, Northway. Well, over the last uh, six weeks, we've been challenged to the core on what it means to be a, a disciple of Christ, to apprentice our lives to Him. This is His invitation to us, and in fact, it's the command that He gave to all of us, that we're called to be disciples so that we can make more disciples. And so we first looked closely at the, at the gospel accounts of, and determined that a disciple is a person who is willing to give up their preconceived ideas of what life is all about. Think about these lines. Give up your preconceived ideas of what life is all about. To abandon your previous way of living, immersing yourself into the way, the truth, and the life of the master. For what reason? In order to be like Christ. And so I've kind of taken a week-by-week process of laying out a vision of what the life of a disciple can look like. So let me reflect on that vision for, for just a moment, just as a refresher. And you'll perhaps remember, uh, most importantly, that uh, Jesus' invitation to us is, is to citizenship within his kingdom. This is, this was, and it is his gospel message. God's kingdom, or, or that realm where God reigns, is in action for the good of his people. That it's available to anyone who calls upon him. That you can live a life now in the kingdom here in the now, here and now, the kingdom of the heavens. And, and Jesus is saying it's going to take a radical shift, a radical reorientation of how you've been thinking. Repent is the word that he and his cousin John would use. The kingdom of God is where what God wants to be done is being done. That's the kingdom of God, where the will of God, the loving action of God on behalf of his people is made manifest in the world. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. Bring it here. Bring it now. And the radical shift in Jesus' message about the kingdom was, was how open this kingdom was to anyone and everyone. He rattled the religious elite by suggesting that this kingdom message was available to, to those who were rejected, those who were unacceptable, people unclean because of sickness or disease, those who were thought to be cursed because they were poor. And he didn't just preach it either. He, he lived it out completely from, from prostitutes to lepers, from little children to poor widows, from tax collectors to Roman soldiers, from a Samaritan woman to his worst enemies. Jesus showed us just how available the king of glory is to those who call upon his name. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's here. It is now. You don't have to wait any longer. And so in a nutshell, the gospel of the kingdom is the availability of God, the availability of life now in the kingdom of God by placing our confidence in Jesus as Lord of all. So, with all that in mind, what does life now in the kingdom look like? If that's what it is, life now in the kingdom, what does that look like? And that's what we've been learning over the last few weeks, to learn how to love, live, 
and lead like Jesus. He's the master, and we're learning from him. So we spent a few weeks talking about what it means to love like Jesus. It's rooted in perfect, Trinitarian, agape love. We've been invited into a whole new way of relating to, to, to the people in our lives and actually the, the whole world. Ma listen, church, master your understanding of that word, agape. It is a selfless love, a love that is passionately committed to the well-being of others. And so we went on to present the idea that love, joy, and peace should be our default disposition if we're abiding in Christ. That compassion should fill our hearts as we begin to see people the way Christ sees them. And, and that forbearance and forgiveness should be a, a dominant dimension of agape love, even with our enemies. And, and so in all of that, I presented a model to sort of visualize what this ever-flowing stream of love looks like. Accepting his invitation into the community of love represented in the Trinity. Trusting in him alone as your sole sufficiency. Selflessly loving your brothers and sisters in Christ. Compassionately giving to the hurting and the disoriented. Even extending loving forbearance and forgiveness to your enemies, past and present. This is what it looks like to love like Jesus. And in one way or another, everyone in your life, from family to fellow classmates to co-workers, from the people easiest to love to the ones hardest to even like, they're all represented here. And selfless agape love, a love that desires the best for every one of them, is to become the characterizing quality of our interactions with them as we live out our lives under the reign of Christ. So, we have this powerful vision of the kingdom of God that is made available to us now. And as we've uh, uh, observed the, the life and teachings of Christ, we have we've a clear vision of how life in the kingdom is to be lived out, loving God and loving people with our whole hearts, mind, soul, and strength. But it is one thing to have a vision of the kingdom, to know that the aim of our life should be characterized by selfless and sacrificial love, but it's a very different thing altogether to actually live it out, right? I mean, our responses to our enemies are often not very loving. We do pass by on the other side of the road far too often and don't slow down with compassion for those who are wounded. We actually don't engage enough with those who are disoriented to God's way of living so that we can show them the way. Our light is not very bright, and our salt doesn't do much for changing the flavor of life for very many people. Clearly, there is often a disconnect between the beautiful vision of life in the kingdom that Jesus presents and the one that we actually live. So what gives? Why is it so hard? Well, we need to look no further than once again back to our master teacher to show us the way. You see, he doesn't leave us hanging here on this one. I mean, if we are really apprenticing our whole lives to him, then by observing the way he lived his life, by studying the rhythms, the patterns of his life, we can identify the source of, of his success and his strength in living out this kingdom vision. So go with me this morning on a, on a little bit of a journey through the Gospels for just a few moments, and let's see what we might discover. We'll start in Luke chapter 4. In Luke 4, we see how one Sunday, Jesus had an incredibly full day of ministry, from early in the morning until the evening, he was teaching in the synagogue. Uh, he'd been to Simon's mother-in-law's house to heal her, and, and he'd performed many, many miracles. It was a long, long day. 
So on Monday morning, Jesus went out for a time of solitude and silence. Verse 42 of Luke 4. Early the next morning, Jesus went out to an isolated place. The crowds searched everywhere for him, and when they finally found him, they begged him not to leave them. Mark records this same story for us, but he gives us a little bit more detail about what Jesus was doing. This will be on the screen. Mark chapter 135 says, Before daybreak, the next morning, before daybreak, Jesus got up and went out to an isolated place to pray. In Matthew 14, Jesus hears of the death of his cousin John, and, and, and he, left, he left by boat, by, by boat <laughs> to, uh, to go to a desolate place. That's what the ESV calls it, a desolate place. And so the crowds heard about him, and, and they followed him on foot. And this is the scene where Jesus has great compassion on them, and he performed many miracles, it says, even though he intended to go be alone by himself to deal with the sorrow of losing his cousin John. And by evening, all these people are there. There's nothing left to eat, and so we get the story of the feeding of the 5,000. You see what a long day this is? So again, a long and emotionally draining day. And Matthew records Jesus' next movement for us in Matthew 14. As soon as the meal was finished, he insisted that the disciples get in the boat and go ahead to the other side while he dismissed the people. Now listen, with the crowd dispersed, he climbed the mountain so he could be by himself and pray. He stayed there. Late into the night. Hmm. In Luke 5, Jesus heals a leper. And he tells him, don't say much about it. Don't say anything about it. Of course, it didn't do much good because Luke tells us in verse 15 of chapter 5, but the news about him spread even more and large crowds would come together to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. Yet, he often withdrew to deserted places and prayed. Pastor Peterson puts it this way, as often as possible, Jesus withdrew to out-of-the-way places for prayer. I mean, the closer we look, the more it starts to add up. You can see this definite rhythm to how Jesus lived his life. The gospel writers make sure we know not just about all his powerful teachings and his miracles. We don't just hear about him walking on the water and raising people from the dead. We see that in between all this work of spreading the gospel of the kingdom, Jesus had a rhythm of spiritual practices. And interestingly, we often see them preceding or immediately after times of intense ministry. It was as if these practices of solitude and silence and prayer, those things actually connected the ministry times together. That they were even key to sustaining and fueling Jesus to do the work of his ministry. Now look, friends, if we're truly going to apprentice our lives to Jesus, we need not only to understand what to do in public, but perhaps even more importantly, we have to learn to live as he did in private and behind the scenes. Solitude, silence, and prayer, these aren't the only practices we see him engaging in. Let's spend a little bit of time in Luke chapter 4. I'll let you get to that one. Luke chapter 4, we see one of the most important scenes of Jesus' life. This is the widely known story of the temptation of the Christ. It happens immediately after his baptism, and it happens just prior to the launching of his public ministry. So as you can imagine, this is a critically pivotal point in the life of Christ. Getting ready to launch into his ministry. 
Now, you're probably pretty familiar with the story, but let's make just a few observations as we go along here. Verse 1 of Luke 4. Then Jesus left the Jordan, full of the Holy Spirit, and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days to be tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and when they were over, he was hungry. Now, the very first thing we notice here is that before Jesus went about doing his work, even he went into spiritual preparation. Even he went into spiritual preparation, or training we might call it. Now, Jesus is the Son of God, right? I mean, he, he makes up one-third of the persons of the Trinity. And yet, we see him going into a season of preparation. And I ask you this morning, could it be that the reason we struggle to live life in the kingdom to its fullest is that we step out into the world unprepared? That we know we're supposed to be loving and forgiving and kind. We know we should set aside anger and malice, that, that we should have no part in gossip or lying. We know we're not supposed to retaliate with our enemies, and, and we're to be on the lookout for those in need so that we can offer sacrificial compassion. And yet, that is not what onlookers would most often see from our lives. Could it be, just could it be, that we try to run the marathon without putting in the necessary training? Oh, we may have our perfectly matched outfit, right? We may think we have the best running shoes that money can buy. We might have even attended a few workshops on the benefits of running. And yet, we've not put in the training, which is the only thing that can ensure an even remote possibility of finishing such a grueling race. You see, the gospel writers, they've let us in on what I believe to be one of the most important dynamics of kingdom living. Jesus himself demonstrates for us how important these spiritual practices are in our lives. Notice a few more important points we get here in this, in this story in the wilderness. Next, we see that he was led by the Spirit and full of the Spirit. You know, spiritual practices are something that we do, they are, but they're only made effective as the Spirit works within us. That's a key point that I'm going to come back to in a few moments, so remember that one. We also pick up on a couple of other important spiritual practices here. I mean, it would be hard not to notice that a part of his training here was that he fasted for 40 days. Fasting, as Richard Foster puts it, fasting is a reminder of the source of all nourishment. And Jesus assumed that we would follow his example, that we too would fast. In fact, during the Sermon on the Mount, he gives us instructions. Two times he says, now when you fast, not if you fast, but when you fast, he's assuming that we'll follow his example. And then, of course, at, at the end of the fast, Satan comes to tempt Jesus. We, this is where, where it's all culminating, right? In, in verse number two, he ate nothing during those days, and when they were over, of course, he was hungry. The devil said to him, if you are the Son of God, Tell this stone to become bread. But Jesus answered him, It is written, Man must not live on bread alone. And of course, Satan goes on to tempt him two more times, and Jesus responds all three times by doing what? Quoting Scripture. Here we can see that long before he was tempted, Jesus filled his mind with Scripture. Long before he was tempted. You see, this shows us that Jesus stayed ready and prepared by memorizing, meditating on Scripture. Friend, listen to me. The decision to resist temptation is made long before the temptation is ever faced. And the power to resist comes from readying yourself long before 
This is the difference between trying to do the right thing versus training to do the right thing. Most of us are trying. Most of us are trying to clean the outside of the cup instead of working on the inside of the cup. Are you hearing me? And then notice this little verse here too, verse 13. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. (laughs) You see, evidently, the enemy looks for times of weakness in our life, and that's why it's so important to always stay ready. And what was the outcome for Jesus in all of this preparation and training for these 40 days? Well, look at verse 14. Jesus returned to Galilee from the desert in the power of the Spirit. And good news spread throughout the whole countryside. And so we see, after spiritual training, Jesus himself empowered by the Spirit. Now, this is key, folks. Strength on the field at game time is gained in the weeks and months before the game, right? It's in the gym. It's repeating the necessary training to build muscle and endurance. And Jesus shows us the way to live in his strength by placing our lives in his hands through repeated spiritual practices. His spirit empowers us to live out the lives that we were meant to live to begin with. And so we can learn so much about these practices if we just pay close attention to the life of Christ. In fact, very quickly, let me just give you a couple more observations from his life. Before Jesus made his biggest decisions, we see him going into a time of intense prayer. Uh, Luke 6, 12. One day soon afterward, Jesus went up on a mountain to pray, and he prayed to God all night. Why did he do that? Well, at daybreak, he called all his disciples together, and he chose 12 of them to be apostles. I mean, how much prayer do we really devote to our big decisions, huh? I mean, really, do we ever pray all night? (laughs) I mean, I know this is a really pretty big decision Jesus is making right here. I mean, after all, the disciples are the ones responsible probably for you and I even sitting here today. So that's a big decision he had to make. But still, can we learn to apprentice our prayer lives to Jesus even in the midst of having to make the toughest choices in our life? That's where wisdom is found. I mean, we can also see that after after intense seasons of work, he went into spiritual recovery. Look at verse 30 of Mark 6. The apostles returned to Jesus from their ministry tour and told him all they had done and taught. And then Jesus said, let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place and rest a while. He said this because there were so many people coming and going that Jesus and his apostles didn't even have time to eat. Yes, Listen to this. You'll like this one. Rest and quiet is a spiritual practice. And Jesus says that rest may even include some times with our friends. Perhaps a retreat is what we might call that in our time. Can you see it? Now, are you seeing, have I laid out a good enough picture for you? Jesus had a rhythm to his life. Yes, it was a, a life rhythm that included the spectacular and riveting display of God's glorious gospel. Demonstrations of loving kindness to whosoever will may come. Healing the broken, the wounded, and the hurting. But it was also a rhythm that included the quiet. The restoration of solitude. The healing of rest with friends. And intimacy with the Father through extended seasons of prayer and fasting. The meditation on the life-giving words of the Bible. And so much more. Ah, church, will we accept his invitation to give our lives over completely to his way, to his rhythm, to his spiritual practices that lead to life-giving fruitfulness? Is it possible? Yeah, I would say it is possible, you know. 
You may resist the notion in our fast-paced 21st century world, but it is completely doable. You know, I think how most of us follow Christ is that we come in on Sundays hoping to get a morsel of something that'll help us just make it through the week. That we're looking for just a little dab of something. And we think that might just be enough. That if the music is really strong enough, and if the preacher is really anointed enough, then I'll get a whole lot out of what happens on Sunday. And that's about all I'll need. Maybe you think for a moment, well, I need to get up and read the Bible a couple of minutes, and maybe I'm supposed to pray a little bit. But really, that's relegated to if you have time and if you feel like it. Jesus is saying, no, that's not how it works. It is a rhythm of life. It's a rhythm that has to be carved out, and it has to be intentional. Let me refresh your memory on one of our key verses. Luke chapter 6, verse 40 says, A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher. As a disciple of Christ, apprenticing our whole lives to him, we learn to be like him as we go into training. And this rhythm of life that we see in Jesus is a major part of the training process. Paul would talk about this later in his encouragement to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4. Rather, train yourself in godliness. For the training of the body has limited benefit, but godliness is beneficial in every way since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Train yourself in godliness. Listen to Pastor Peterson's take. Exercise daily in God. No spiritual flabbiness, please. Workouts in the gymnasium are useful, but a disciplined life in God is far more so, making, making you fit both today and forever. Boy, that's a powerful way of putting it, isn't it? Exercise daily in God, a disciplined life in God. Now, keep in mind, though, that the objective is to engage in a rhythm of practices that allow God to do the inner work of transformation. He's the one that does the work. We're simply giving him access to our inner life to do the work. Now, I love the way Ruth Haley Barton puts it. You've probably heard me use this quote before because I think it's so powerful. In the end, listen, in the end, this is the most hopeful thing any of us can say about spiritual transformation. I cannot transform myself or anyone else for that matter. What I can do is create the conditions in which spiritual transformation can take place. By developing and maintaining a rhythm of spiritual practices that keep me open and available to God. Now, here's our objective for today. Spiritual transformation happens as we do our cooperative work with the Holy Spirit to be internally transformed so that our automatic outward responses to life are in alignment with Christ. Now, that's our sermon in a sentence, in, in a sentence today, so you might want to pull your notes out to look at that with me, and I'll say it again because I don't want you to miss this. Spiritual transformation happens as we do our cooperative work with the Holy Spirit to be internally transformed so that our automatic outward responses to life are in alignment with Christ. Remember what Jesus said in Luke 6. He says, a good person produces good out of the good that's stored up in his heart. 
An evil person produces evil out of the evil stored up in his heart, for his mouth speaks from the overflow of his heart. Let me ask you this. You ever get in a high-pressure situation, or maybe you're in an argument, and you quickly say things you wish you, couldn't, you, wish you hadn't said, right? Anybody? All right, let's, let's just do a show of hands. Anybody ever done that? Yeah, so you're in good company, right? You just want to kind of go out there and get them and just put them right back in there, right? You ever wonder where that comes from? I mean, huh? Jesus says it actually comes from your heart. And actually, I don't think it's much of a, uh, of a stretch to suggest that all of our automatic responses to life flow from the heart. Your attitudes, your work ethic, your patience or impatience, your willingness to submit to authority, all of these and so much more, they flow from your inner life whether you realize it or not. And spiritual practices combined with the work of the Holy Spirit is the path Jesus lays out for us that leads to transformation of your heart, ultimately leading to deeper levels of agape love towards God and other people. And, and the end result is a transformation of your character into Christ-likeness. Friend, let me just tell you, if you're tired of all the ups and downs in your walk of faith, if you know the way you're supposed to selflessly and sacrificially love and yet you don't, if your life is still characterized by anger and insults, a lack of patience or a lack of peace, if your eyes still wander in lust, if you still lack self-control, the answer is not to try harder. The answer is to train smarter. You're in need of a reformation of the heart that comes from cultivating a disciplined life in God. So here's the questions you need to ask yourself. How bad do I want that? Am I willing to rearrange my life for what my heart wants most? Now think about that for a moment and what your response might would be. How bad do I want that? And would I be willing to rearrange my life to get it? Now look, I get it. I know. Life can be crazy busy, right? We have a lot of obligations. Our everyday activities are physically and mentally exhausting. And so for me to stand up here and talk to you about spiritual practices, you're looking at me and you're like, oh my goodness, you're going to add even more stuff to my schedule? I mean, you may think that seems daunting. You might even think that it seems hopeless. But listen, one of the greatest temptations of the spiritual life is to believe that if I were in another season of life, I could be more spiritual. And to think that one day, now one day when I get these kids raised and I don't have to take them to dance and ball, one day when I get that promotion at work and I don't have to work 12 to 16 hours a day, one day I'll be able to do what Rodney's talking about. I know. For right now, I'm just going to use my fingernails and hold on. But when I get there, oh, I know it's going to be beautiful. You're lying to yourself. It starts now. It starts right now. It starts Today, if the aim of your life is to be like Christ, if you've chosen to seek first the kingdom of God, if you've chosen the narrow gate that leads to life, then following the lead of Christ, rebuild the rhythms of your life to match up with his. Now, you'll notice in your bulletin a, a little handout that at the top of it, it it's a little fold over. It says a rule of life. Pull that out with me if you would. A rule of life. I'll give you a second to pull it out. 
Everybody got one? Anybody doesn't have one, raise your hand. I've got guys waiting in the back, anxious to give you one. There's one up here in the front. Yes, I see that hand. Two right here. Three right here. Amen. Everybody bow. Let's pray real quick while their hands are raised. <laughs> now, as you take a look at that, you're going to see a multitude of spiritual practices. Don't let this intimidate you at all. I'm just giving this to you as an example. There's a lot of overlap from one list to another, and you're certainly not going to employ every practice all the time. I, I don't have time to even give much explanation to, to what they are all about, though obviously I think probably most of them are pretty self-explanatory. But I just wanted to give you an idea of the many practices that are available to you. I uh, have dabbled in, in some endurance sports and some triathlon, and you would think that all you really have to do is just swim a lot, run a lot, and bike a lot, and you'll be able to do it. And that's true. But if you really want to be an elite athlete, you step outside even those three disciplines, and you go to the gym, and you hit some weights the right way, the right way. You use a whole, you, nutrition becomes incredibly important. And so there's a multitude of training that you need to get you ready for whatever sport it is that, that you're, you're, you're leading. I mean, Tiger Woods was at his peak, not only because he was a brilliant genius and talented, but because he spent some time in the gym building particular strength, not even on the golf course. He was doing something totally different, right? And so that's the idea of having this list of spiritual practices. It's not a one-size-fits-all. It's not a one-size-fits-all for every season of life. But let's take a look at it, and just remember, it's an example list. Uh, what I want you to take particular look at is this list at the very top, this rule of life. This is the rhythm that we, we see from Jesus, and this is a, a, just an example of what a rhythm for your life could look like. It's not a magical formula. It's not necessarily the right way or the only way. It's just a sample, okay? And remember, and you got look, look, look me in the eye on this one. Because what happens with these kinds of things is people get a hold of a list and they think they're supposed to go out and do something on their own and then that's just going to magically work. You've got to remember that these are only tools in the hands of the Spirit of God. That as you place your life before the Lord during these practices, God's the one that does the transformation. You're not earning brownie points here with Him, right? That's not what this is about at all, okay? So, look at them. Number one, make space for God at the beginning and end of each day. Now, obviously, these, these times include prayer, probably some reflection on Scripture. Uh, I, I, personally, I would probably include some form of self-examination of your life, taking a, especially at the end of the day. Take a look back at your day for course corrections, and as well as celebrating God moments and grace moments that happen throughout your day. Carving out some time at the beginning and the end of your day. I would encourage you to read through the Gospels in small two to three chapter segments and memorize key passages as you apprentice your life to Christ. Now again, this is simply a place to begin. I mean, there are many approaches to, to scripture reflection, but I would say for a season, I would suggest saturate your mind in the gospels so that as his student, you'll be extremely familiar with his life and his teaching. Another spiritual practice we talk about around here a lot is hospitality. That's simply fellowship and fellowship with, with other believers weekly and then even at least monthly with folks outside the church you see we're made to be in relationship and these are grace moments relationships bring about grace moments when God is in the mix and likely fellowship with other believers for a lot of us that's going to probably happen 
in our small groups where we're one anothering with each other. Or maybe in informal settings like a group of our guys that meet down at 3rd Gen Coffee on Thursday morning. Don't take that lightly. That's a spiritual discipline. It really is. And, and be sure to include time with your unchurched friends too because, listen, listen, this is where you practice what you've learned. Where, where the light of God is intentionally on display. You're practicing what you've learned from Christ. Uh, number four, uh, practice the Sabbath. And I mean really practice the Sabbath. The Sabbath in the sense of a weekly period of celebration, quiet, and rest. And I know, I, I know. Listen, your schedule is packed. And for you to say, I'm going to take 24 hours to rest and relax. No work, no shopping. Turn the TV off, maybe. Be present with your family. Worship with your church. That sounds like, okay, just shoot me now. <laughs> You're really asking me to do that. But yes, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Not in a legalistic way. That's not what I'm saying at all. But as a means of grace, a day for the Lord to renew and restore your life. Number five, live within your means and give away more than 10% of your income. Wait, more than 10%? I'm doing all I can do to get up to the 10%, Rodney. Yeah, because Christ calls us to live sacrificially. And giving away your resources, that's a practice in learning that it's not all mine. Generous living, it, it teaches you to keep your hands open and not tight-fisted. Bless someone, number six. Bless someone every week through some purposeful demonstration of love. Take a cake over to the neighbors or, or help them with a project or, or visit someone in the hospital or send a note of encouragement to a coworker. Because what you're doing is you're practicing being a loving person to a world that desperately needs his love and you're trusting that God will use your acts to open their eyes. But as you practice, God uses it to shape your heart and your life to actually be more loving and giving. See how that works? And then finally, incorporate any of those other practices as your journey would grow or as needed in particular seasons of your life. So, that's a potential rule of life, an intentional rhythm of spiritual practices that God can use to shape your heart and life to be more like His. And perhaps, many of you here today are, are maybe intrigued by this discussion and the, all the different things you see listed there, and maybe you'd like to go further. And so I want you to know we'll be offering a, a, some kind of learning environment to, in, the, in the days ahead to talk about these things, either in a traditional classroom setting or maybe we'll go on a retreat. In fact, let me just ask, out of curiosity, if we were to offer an introductory environment of some kind to, to better understand these practices as we're talking about here today, how many of you would be interested in being a part of that? You'd like to know more about this. Let me see your hands. Hey, that's pretty good. All right. Make it so, number one. Of course, uh, you just a few Trekkie fans in the room. Uh, <clears throat> of course, uh, here's the deal. You don't have to be a master at any of this. You don't have to wait until Rodney offers a course, a training course. You just simply begin right now. And so I'm challenging Northway. Seek first the kingdom. Rearrange your life for spiritual training and watch how much different your life is going to be on a day-by-day -day basis. Learning of his grace and, his, and experiencing the power of his transforming Holy Spirit. All right, well, let's, let's wrap this up. Jesus has he's given us an example of a, a rhythm of life in the kingdom. 
I know he's the son of God, and I guess you'd fully expect Jesus to live that way. But nonetheless, we see it clearly. He, he, he awakens early in the morning to prepare himself for what lies ahead. He, he gives his life away, but then he runs to solitude for restoration. And let me ask you this. Here's a big question. You can get ready to answer this one. If Jesus, the Son of God, needed this spiritual rhythm, how much more do you and I? This is the life he invites us into, friends. He, he invites us to walk with him, to work with him, to watch how he does it. Peter puts it this way. Everything that goes into a life of pleasing God has been miraculously given to us. How? By getting to know personally and intimately the one who invited us to God. The best invitation we ever received. And so I wonder this morning, do you know him? personally and intimately. This Jesus who invites us to God, have you come to his well that will never run dry? Have you experienced a relationship with him that is not only sweet and rich, but transforms your heart and soul to be like him? Here I'm calling you this morning. The kingdom of God is available now to all who put their confidence in him. No one is rejected who calls upon the Lord. Repent and believe. It's all it takes to begin walking hand in hand with him as he leads us through life from glory to glory. To repent simply means to change the way you've been thinking, to leave behind your selfishness, to, to put your confidence in his ways, to live like him. This is the life you were meant to live. And your decision to follow may be right here in this moment. And it can start with a simple little prayer. It's a commitment you're making in your heart, something he's already doing. The prayer is just an expression of that. And you simply tell Jesus that you're leaving behind that old life. And you're trusting him to teach you how to live. Forgiveness from your past, freedom for your future. What a life, huh? And so in a few moments when we uh, kind of pause and bow for prayer, I'm, I'm, and I'm asking you, make your commitment to him. And if you do that, you let me know as soon as service is over, and I want to get with you, celebrate with you, and talk about next steps in your journey. And I know we're almost done here, but can you bear with me for just one more moment? Because there's one more scene in which we see Jesus going into an intense time of prayer before his really big event. Luke tells us in Luke 22 that Jesus went out and made his way as usual to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. Are you following him? When he reached the place, he told them, he told us, pray that you may not fall into temptation. Pray. And then he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, knelt down, and began to pray. Father, if you're willing, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, nevertheless, not my will but yours be done. And then an angel from heaven appeared to him, strengthening him. But being in anguish, he prayed more fervently. He intensified his prayer. And his sweat became like drops of blood falling on the ground. You see, this is the night of his betrayal. When the enemy was sure, he was on the way to defeating the very purposes of God. And Jesus knew what was coming. 
He's in anguish. And like he taught us in the model prayer, he says, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Father, let your will be done through my life, whatever the cost. It is this shedding of blood and this breaking of his body that we commemorate this morning. So let's contemplate his great love for us. Let's remember the words of his prayer. Not my will, but yours be done. And then, let's pray the same. Can you do that? Not my will, but yours be done. In my life, Lord. Let us in return offer up our lives as a living sacrifice to him. You may feel the need to repent for filling up your schedule so full that you don't have time for him. You you may need to surrender your life to him and ask him to show you how to rearrange your life for how you'll be able to spend more time with him. Reflect on how you'll give him everything you are. So let's pray. You may feel the